Well, good morning, everyone. Today's the day that the Lord has made. So we're going to rejoice and be glad in it, right? That's right. We love you, Abby. We also want to say good morning to those in our venue. Hello. I feel bad I haven't gotten down to say hi to you yet, and as well as those in the gym. We want to also say hi to those who are in our online service. Good morning to you who are joining us in spirit. I'm just going to be really forthright with you right now. I got a lot of weight right now on my shoulders about today's message. And uh, I come out here feeling that weight. And not just the weight of the passage that we're going to look through, but the weight of the task before me. What I want to do is I want to I take this weight and I want you to feel it too. And so that's why I'm like, today just, I'm going to have a little bit more sober tone as we approach here because what we're going to talk about today is is not light stuff. This is the type of stuff that when we read, if we believe it, it literally changes everything. You don't walk out the same way as you walked in. If you grasp and understand what Jesus himself is saying about what he himself is going to be doing. So let's not play around today. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to be reading verses 23 to 31 today. We're on week three of four weeks of a sermon series we're called Sign of the Times. It's just a straight up old school walkthrough of Matthew chapter 24. If you did pick up one of the Bibles that we provide for you, always encourage you to do that if you don't have your own. That's on page 1054. Either way, whatever Bible you have, I encourage you to make sure it's open to the entire length of this message. Just so you know, I'm not making this stuff up. It's right before you. So as you're finding that page in that passage, let me just say this. The future is not an open-ended book. There is an author, and he's writing your story. And he's writing the story of the people around you. And he's written his own. And we're seeing a glimpse of what's going to happen at the end. So let's go ahead and read what Jesus tells us as we find some purpose and hope for our life. So Matthew chapter 24, verses 23 down to 31. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus says this, Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, Look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, Look, he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. This is the word of God, everyone. Let's pray, and then we'll get started. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, today we read some very sobering words from our Lord, and I pray that we do not get lost 
and the wonder of what's to come, but by these words, we will prepare for what's to come. Help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to be people who live not in fear, but in preparation because you, O Lord, our God, are on the move. Lord, we pray these things for your glory alone. Amen. Amen. So the very last two verses of the Bible tell us a lot. The very last two verses of the Bible come from Revelation chapter 22, verses 20 and 21. I want to read to you how the Bible ends itself. It says this. It says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Church, our great hope and the great hope that the Bible leaves us with is this, is that Christ is coming back, that our king is returning, and our job now is to prepare as we long for him to return. So, you guys ready for some Bible study today? All right, let's make sure your Bibles are open then. Let's walk through our passage. Verses 23 and 24 say this, then if anyone says to you, look, there's Jesus, or there he is. You don't believe it. Because false Christs and false prophets are going to rise and they're going to do amazing things. And they're going to grab everyone's attention and everyone's going to go flocking to them, but not you. That's what Jesus is telling us. He says these signs are going to be so powerful that even people of like super faith possibly could fall away. And if even God's chosen ones could happen, it would happen. Because of what's going to be happening through these false prophets and false Christ. So picking up from last week, Jesus is speaking of the events that happen after the abomination of desolation. As we looked at last week, in all likelihood, Jesus is pointing to the Antichrist there and the tribulation that will accompany it. And let me just say this to many of you who I know are trying to get ahead of me right now. Stop for a second. I know because I know my church. I know where a lot of you are going right now. What about the rapture? Let me just say this. We're going to stick to the text. We're going to see what Jesus says. I'll I'll let you know right now. In June, as we launch into summer, we're going to be doing a sermon series on the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's going to be a chapter-by-chapter walkthrough of 1 Thessalonians. That's where the, the, the idea of the rapture is most clearly expressed. So in June, when we get to that, that's when we'll talk about the rapture in full. Because I'll be honest with you, the rapture really needs its own sermon. And as we look at this here right now, the return of Christ I barely have enough time to get through what Jesus says here. And if you're thinking, aw, (laughs) let me just lovingly say this to you. If the glorious return of Jesus Christ is not enough for you, then you don't know what we're talking about yet. So stick with me. So stick with me. We'll get into all aspects of the rapture as we look at the upcoming sermon series uh, on 1 Thessalonians in June. So let me just say this real quickly. Please save your emails until then. Happy to discuss, happy to go back and forth. So is Pastor John, so I want to go ahead and email him right now. I'm excited for that sermon series, but we want to stick to the text that's before us because there's so much here. Today, Jesus is speaking of his glorious return, the great hope that we all long for, what is known as the second advent, or what theologians would call the parousia. And in this passage, Jesus tells us 
that his return is going to be preceded by false Christs and by false prophets who, listen, who perform great miracles, doing great signs and wonders, and it's going to lead people astray. This is further um, clarified, and Paul talks about this later on in 2 Thessalonians. In chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, he tells us that the coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, the coming of the Antichrist is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception. People are going to be led astray by the miraculous. Now, listen here. This isn't the stuff that you're going to be able to find on YouTube. But if you listen to the testimonies of those people who are coming out of the occult and out of modern-day witchcraft and people who are, who are stepping out of a, a heavy focus on the paranormal, they will tell you this stuff is happening and it's demonic and it's real. But I'm concerned. Here's my concern for us. My concern is that we have increasingly become worshipers of science. Even Richard Dawkins recently tweeted, Hail Science. Because we think, as a people, it can only be real if it can be explained by our current and limited understanding of physics. And I'm concerned that our materialistic, our materialistic and naturalistic worldviews are soon going to be confronted by the truly supernatural and we're going to be so blown away and we're going to become, become so convinced at the very first whims of something miraculous that we're going to just flock and be led astray to the first person performing a sign. Because we've been so immersed on this scientific mindset, our minds have been so closed off to anything supernatural, the second we see something like that, we're going to fall prey. When Christ says, not you. We know this stuff is real. But we know that Satan is powerful too. So we look for not just signs and wonders. We look for the truth. Where's the truth going to be? Church, listen to me. I know that we are zealous for the miraculous. So am I. But great signs and wonders are not necessarily proof of a person's legitimate claims to be a prophet or even Christ himself. Paul tells us this could be the work of Satan. In fact, Jesus himself even says, see, I have told you beforehand. Jesus tells us, watch out. I've warned you. I'm warning you now. Don't get caught up in the hype. He goes on to say, if they say to you, look, he's over there. Don't go out. If they say, no, look, he's over there. Don't follow it. Don't believe it. What Jesus is telling us is that we are not to look for him in any one specific location or among any one certain group of people or in or any certain country or denomination or people group. So how are we to know when Jesus has returned? Well, that's exactly what Jesus says to us next. He says, For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. You know, for those of you who are unfamiliar with, with this, the Son of Man is a term that Jesus himself uses about himself throughout Scripture. And this is what he's telling us. You won't need someone else to tell you that he's come back. It will be apparent and evident to all. As lightning flashes and is viewable to all, so will be Jesus' coming. If you knew me when I was a little guy, when I was growing up, uh, you know, then, then one of the things I always wanted to be when I was growing up is I wanted to be a scientist who studied the weather. My dream growing up was I wanted to work for NASA or the weather, National Weather Service, and I wanted to study the weather. I love all things weather. And so when I was a little guy going through the Sunday school, anything that was related to weather, I just was, I just, I wanted to know more about it. When Jesus calmed the storm is one of my favorite stories. 
And then when Jesus talks about lightning, you, be, you see it over here, but you can see it all the way over there. Like, I remember thinking, oh, that's awesome. But then I began to think, well, wait a second here. The earth is a globe. And how would someone on the other side of the planet see the same thing that we are seeing? In fact, did you, did you know that if you, uh, where we are standing right now in Middleville, Michigan, if you drilled a hole right through the center of the earth, like right smack dab through the center of the earth, do you know what we'd pop out? We'd pop out in the middle of the Indian Ocean, somewhere between South Africa and Australia. In fact, not too far from this weird little lone island called Amsterdam Island. Now, how would someone standing in Middleville, Michigan, see the same thing in the sky as someone on literally the other side of the planet, as far as the ways you could get from here? How would that, how would that work? See, this is where we, we have to understand that Jesus isn't giving us a scientific answer here. He's telling us something profound so that we would all understand this, is that we will all see his coming before we even realize what's happening. What Jesus is trying to communicate to us is that we won't need convincing whether or not he has come. We won't need someone else to tell us. It is a worldwide event. It would take light from Middleville, Michigan to travel to Amsterdam Island in 0.07 seconds. That's faster than what you can double click on a stopwatch. Like this idea of the whole world knowing something is possible Jesus is telling us, you won't need someone else to tell you. It's going to be apparent and evident to all. Because one of the crucial aspects of being a Christian is living lives, all of us, living lives like we are prepared and ready for Jesus to return at any moment. But I'm afraid there's a lot of people here who are not ready. That if Jesus were to come back today, you are woefully unprepared for this. I know some of you giants of the faith cannot wait and are hoping it happens today. Me too. But I also know there's a lot of people who are not ready for this. You know, just as there was people here who immediately want to jump to like the question of the rapture, I think we have people on the other end of the spectrum here in our church. And I know what you're probably thinking. I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, it's been 2,000 years. Don't think he's coming back for us. Let me just say this, that Jesus speaks to that exact sentiment, and that's what we're going to look at next week. So if that's you, please join us next week. The thrust of what we are talking about is no matter what you see, Christ is on the throne and there is hope. There is hope for you. There is hope for us. But we also have to grapple with the real warnings that Jesus gives us. Jesus gives a big, stark warning here. It's not just for them out there. Church, this warning that Jesus gives us that I'm about to read is for us. Look what he says. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures gather. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures gather. This is somewhat of a cryptic proverb, but I believe what Jesus is getting at here is that he's tying this to the statement of the idea of false Christs and false prophets that are coming. Because we must remember that false Christs and false prophets have no life in them. And those who flock to them are vultures looking to feed on dead things. So there is a warning that we need to hear. Peace Church and friends and family who are gathered here, you need to hear this warning. We 
must, especially with the day that we are in, we must be so discerning about whose ministries and YouTube channels and books we are flocking to. Don't let the excitement for the spectacular or the entertaining lead you to feast your souls on dead things, things that have no life. If you want life, look to the one who was raised to life. All right, so here's where it's going to get thick. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. This is not new language for the Bible. The Old Testament books of Isaiah and Ezekiel both speak in these sort of apocalyptic ways, but all of the times we see that in the Old Testament, it's referring to God's pronouncing a judgment on a people or a place like Edom or Babylon or Egypt. But what Jesus is getting at with this language of cosmic disturbances is the same. Whether apocalyptically speaking or literally speaking, What Jesus is giving us is the idea that there will be strong and clear indications in the world phenomena around us that what is going to happen is about to happen. And so we need to be aware with our eyes open. He's given us indications so that we can be prepared. Because Jesus returning is not just a global event. It's a universal one. Look what Jesus goes on to say. Then will appear in heaven the sign In Greek, the word there is Samion, like Simeon. Samion, like sign or miracle or mark or indication. There will be a sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. I believe this sign, this Samion, is the sky opening. And the sun and the moon darkening, the stars falling, the sky shaking, the heavens quaking. I think that's all birth pains for the fulfillment of Jesus returning. Church, are you ready for this? You're right. It has been 2,000 years. That should make us think maybe we should get prepared now. The Son of Man, Christ returning from heaven. Again, not just with power, but with not just glory, but great glory, blinding glory, universe-filling glory. This is what I was warning you about. This is what I was talking about when I started out this message. This is the point where you need to start feeling this weight. If I'm doing my job, I'm transferring it. I understand the Holy Spirit needs to be working in your heart, but I got a task and I'm trying to transfer this to you. You need to be feeling this right now. To say this is not coming is calling Jesus a liar and you're wasting your time being here then. You need to feel the weight that what is coming is coming and it's happening. Do you long for this or do you fear this? Do you want this to happen or do you shrug the shoulders, your shoulders at this? You know, listen, listen I'd, I'd be lying if I told you I wasn't slightly nervous about this. I mean, come on, like, the culmination of all things, everything pointing towards this and actually happening. Yeah, that's kind of nerve-wracking. But I don't fear it. Like, I, I, I welcome it. I want it to happen. So let me ask you, whether it's today, in 10 years, in 100 years, what will that be like for you? Go there in your mind. The heavens opening, Christ descending. What will that moment be like for you? What will you think at that moment? When you see him, what will you do? 
So I think for too many of us, we think of Jesus like a famous person. If we saw a famous person on the street, we'd be like, oh, there he is. But we don't really know them. We maybe know about them, but we know that they don't know us and we don't actually know them. Is that you? Because let me tell you, if that's your faith, that's not a faith that will save you. You need to, like I will one day, I will look at my coming Savior, the return of my King, and I will cry out, my Lord and my God, and I'm going to rush up to him. And I'm going to sit, and I'm going to study his face, because I do wonder what he looks like, but it ultimately doesn't matter to me, because it's my Lord. And I'm going to hug his neck, and I'm going to grab his hands, and I'm going to kiss his hands, and I'm going to go down, and I'm going to hug his ankles, and I'm going to kiss his feet and weep at the feet of my Savior who gave himself for me. That's the moment I'm longing for. Do you long for that? Do you know Christ enough to say that is your heart's desire? So let me tell you right now, if you think Jesus of a famous person that you don't know, that's not a faith that's going to save you. Scripture tells us that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, this is how we are saved. It is a belief that goes down into the DNA of our heart. Is your faith in a famous person that you read about in the tabloids? Or is it the returning king? One will lead to rejoicing, and the other one is spoken about here. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. That all the tribes of the earth will mourn as they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. See, when Jesus returns, it will be a worldwide mourning, lamenting, because people will realize they did not repent when they had the chance. People will realize at that moment that they embraced the world and the things of this world and they're going to realize real quick how hollow this world is, how hollow it is to be loved by the people of this world. And all the followers that you have on social media won't mean a thing if you don't follow Jesus Christ. All the love that you think the world gives you, they will turn on you. They will turn on each other at the sight of Christ when he comes in glory. Those who don't know Christ are going to abandon each other as they look in vain to hide from the coming glory, but they won't be able to because it will shine in the darkness. Praise be to God, some of the restaurants are starting to open up again. I'm wondering, um, I'm wondering, now that restaurants, I wonder if you've seen this scene out in public. You've been around, have you ever seen this scene where you've got two people and one of them's on their phone? Completely ignoring the other one. Like, let me know. In other venues and stuff, have you, have you seen this? Do you know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Okay, how many of you have been that person? Thank you. <laughs> Second service was like, no, not me. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I tell you what, isn't that a picture of our world? I mean, God is sitting across from us. Wanting to be with us, wanting to spend time with us, beckoning us for a relationship with him. And we have our nose in our phones, ignoring him, oblivious to what's going on in this world. And with our nose in our phones, you know what we read? We read headlines. Headlines that are designed to strike fear into your heart so that you will get, remain in fear and keep going back to your phones to find out what's happening. Take your nose out your phone, lift your head up, open your eyes and see that God is on the move in this world. And in this church, praise be to God. I want you to be part of it. Don't sit on the sidelines. 
God is doing something and he's calling you to be a part of it. But too many people in this world have their face in their phones and they're missing life. And life in the fullest. We as a people need to realize that that's not what we are called to. God is on the move. Things are happening. Are you aware or are you distracted? You need to understand what is happening because I don't know how much time is left. And I'm not going to guarantee you any more moment than, one, than the one we actually have. Because listen to what happens at the return of Christ. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now to speak of the four winds, this is part of the reason why we theologians always debate on what Jesus is speaking here. Because the four winds, in the Old Testament, Daniel speaks of the four winds in a very heavenly sense. In the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, we see the four winds spoken about in a very earthly sense, like the four points of a compass. But either way, I think the focus that I want to focus, the thing I think I want to focus on right now is this, is on the gathering of his elect. That is his people, his chosen ones, his people. And I need you to understand this, church. God's people are all over the globe. We believe this, right? From America to Africa to Asia to Australia and beyond, we know that this Christian thing is a worldwide event, right? Praise be to God. You understand this, right? That there are people who are doing powerful things for the name of Jesus who have never spoken a word of English and never set foot on American soil. We understand this, right? This movement that we are a part of, it is a global thing. And it will encompass the entire globe, and not just the entire globe, but the entire universe. So have hope. I don't believe what they say. I don't believe what they tell us about the universe. What they say is that this universe is moving towards a heat death. That at some point in the far distant future, this universe will reach maximum entropy. And it will become a silent, lifeless, black expanse, slowly expanding into eternity for eternity. Now, I believe maybe scientifically that's the trajectory that we are on, but I don't believe that's what's going to happen. I believe that this universe is mind-boggling enormous. It's beautiful, and it's violent, and it's mysterious, and it's colorful, and I believe this universe displays the power of God, and I believe that all of human history is pointing to something glorious that will happen on a universal scale. And I'm here to tell you, and I'm sent to tell you, to be ready, to get ready, to prepare. So as we close up, I want to give you a few things to help you prepare for the return of Christ. This first thing I'm going to share with you, I'm going to ask you to hold your tomatoes and don't throw them at me just yet. Let me explain. I think one of the best ways that we can prepare for the return of Christ is this. Take God out of the number one spot on your priority list. You heard me right. Take God out of the number one spot on your priority list. When we put God on a list like that, he just becomes something that we need to check off. Maybe we pray. Maybe we throw some change in the offering plate. Maybe we do a devotion. Maybe we make it to church. Then you know what happens? Then we look back and we feel bad. We feel bad that we didn't give God more. That we didn't give God enough time. We look back and we 
We, th- we think we failed because yet again, he didn't actually take the number one spot in our priority list. So hear me. Take God out of the number one spot in your priority list. I want to remind you that I think the whole thrust of Matthew chapter 24 can be summed up like this. Be prepared. Be prepared for the return of Christ. So we've uh, experienced some growth here at Peace, and I know that there's a lot of people getting to know and getting to meet other people. That's awesome. I'm hearing stories of people having each other over for lunch and for dinner. That's awesome. So imagine for a moment you decide to have some people over for dinner. Now you, whether or not you actually have a list or it's just in your mind, you've got a list of things that you need to do to prepare for them to come over, right? Uh, Maybe you set the table, Maybe you make dinner. Maybe if you really want to impress them, you take a shower. But either way, you've got this list of things that you're doing to prepare for these people to come over. But notice, the people themselves, they aren't actually on that list, but they are the reason for everything on that list. You follow me where I'm going with this? Our priority list, everything on that list needs to point to God. Everything on our list needs to point that we are preparing for God. If you want to prepare for the return of Christ, hear me. Take God out of the number one spot of your priority list and then do this. Make God the reason for everything on that list. When you look at your priority list of your life, when you look at how your time has been divided through your commitments, make God the reason for everything on there. You want to be a better husband? Well, firstly, it's because God himself has called you to, even when you're fighting with your spouse. To be someone, if God's calling you to be someone who's involved in your community, it's not just to be a good citizen. It's because God is calling you to be a light for Christ in your community. When you post things on social media, what is the Holy Spirit-inspired reason for that post? Kids doing your homework. You're not firstly doing it because of grades. You're not firstly doing it because your teacher had told you to. You're doing it because you're doing it for the glory of God because he's preparing you to do amazing things in the future. When God becomes the reason for everything we do and why, let me give you three things that happen. So when we, when we make God the reason for everything on our priority list, the first thing is this, is that you will have true purpose. You'll have an eternal purpose for all that you do. Listen, sometimes especially those with young families who are so busy, we just need to step back from what we're doing and just say, what's the point? Like, what's the point? Why are we so busy all the time? What is the point? Well, if we do this, listen to me, we'll realize that there's more than a life to point. There's more than a point to life. There is an eternal purpose. God did not create you so that you could sit and wonder why you even exist. God did not create you so that you would sit and wonder what's your reason for living. Everything that we are called to do, everything that we are meant to do, is meant to be infused with the eternal weight of, the God, of God's glory. In fact, the Bible actually says, everything you do, do it for the glory of God. When things get hard, and loving the person in front of you is the very last thing that you want to do in that moment, remember, everything you do, you do first for the Lord who loved you and gave himself up for you. And for those of you who are still not bought in, if you're just living for the now, if you're just living for this moment, then you are living for what is literally washing away with every single second. 
But if you live for God in each moment, then you are living for an eternal purpose with every second that you have. So when we make God the reason for everything on our list, we will get purpose, eternal purpose in all that we do. And we will also have a reason to praise. You'll always have a reason to praise. And this is where joy comes in. Church, we need to show the world what joy looks like. And if God is the reason for all you do, then you'll always have a reason to praise. And this is all the more reason that if God is not the reason for what you do, then you could be one of those vultures feeding on dead things. Let me say that again because I'm afraid it went past some of you. If God is not the reason for all that you do, then you could be those vultures feeding on dead things. We are meant to get life from all that we sign up to do in life. And I understand we're thrust into situations that we didn't sign up for. All the more reason in those moments to lean into God. But what happens if we leaned into the one who gives us life with everything that we do in life? I'd imagine we'd have a lot more purpose and a lot more reason to praise. And let me just say this real quick. When praise is a part of everything that you do, there's no room for complaining. When everything you do comes out of a spirit of praise, there's no room for complaining in the midst of that. If you can't praise God in the midst of it, then why even do it? And thirdly, purpose, praise, and of course, by this, we will be prepared for the return of Christ. When Christ returns, when that glorious day happens, I want you to be able to say truly with your heart, I want you to be able to look at Jesus and say, I was waiting for you. Lord, I was waiting for you. I've got everything set. Everything's ready. I was waiting for this moment. All my life, I was preparing for this. I want you to be able to say that, but not very many people in here will be able to say that because we're too caught up with what's going on in this world and we're too distracted and Christ's going to come and we're going to be caught completely off guard when we've had nothing but time to prepare. And especially if you're hearing me in this message, whether online or later on in the podcast, there's no excuse for you. You are hearing the warning from Jesus himself. Next week, we're going to talk about why and when Christ will, why Christ hasn't returned yet and when he will. But let me give you a glimpse. The reason Christ hasn't returned yet is because God has given you time. Because God's given you just a, a little bit more time to prepare a little bit more time to do what he's called you to do, to stop making excuses and do the things you know he's calling you to do. He's given you time to do that. If God is not fueling everything you are doing, then you are wasting what little time you have left. If God is not fueling everything you are doing, then it's probably because you are distracted by the world and we get so caught up. When God is fueling everything that we are doing, and everything that we are doing has eternal purpose, gives us a reason to praise, and by it, we will be prepared. And so the last words of the, of the scriptures, I'm going to leave you now as the last words of the sermon. Come, Lord Jesus, and the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Would you please stand? Church, our hope is our assurance that our king is returning. Amen? Amen? Amen. You have a purpose in Christ. You have a reason to praise. You have a call to prepare. And you can, all, you can do all of this. 
And you can rest in all of this because you have this assurance that we have a king and a savior who has made promises and delivered. And he makes promises to you now that he will deliver. He's given us time to prepare for those fulfillments. And so we're going we're gonna to sing now of those promises. And we're going to sing now of, our, of the assurance that we have in that old hymn, Blessed Assurance. So would you bow your heads and pray with me as we prepare our hearts. Lord, we want to be a testimony to the world to let them know of your goodness and your love. And Lord, if there are people here who can't pray that yet, then by the power of your spirit, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would strike their hearts to come to realize the love that you have for them in Jesus. And I pray, Lord, for the sons and daughters of the kingdom who are in this room, Lord, I pray that we will show the world a joyful anticipation for the return of our King. And so by the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd write a good story in our lives, that we would have a testimony to share as we rest in and rejoice in the blessed assurance of our returning King and Savior. And it's in his name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Church, let's sing together.